This winter, we do it all just to change your mind. Find out how to get lasting change. Leave your past, find your future. Get rewired. How many of you know I'm a little strange? <laughs> I, I ask myself questions all the time, you know, like about life. And, and, and one of the questions I asked myself was, how, how did I become who I am? Like how, did, how did I get to be who I am? Uh, I started out in life very, very much as a pessimist. I uh, hedged my bets, I, and you know, my mom and I would talk about it, and my mom would say, well, you come by it honestly. I mean, uh, she said, just think of your father, you know, we, we'd be going on a picnic, and uh, it would be a clear day, Job. and there would be zero percent chance of rain, and he would say to my mother, maybe we should pack an umbrella just in case. So I come by it, I come by it honestly. I'm fascinated when I see children and their parents side by each, you know? And, and the kids talk exactly like the parents, right? Little inflections, little aha, mm, things the way they turn their mouth or their cheek. And you can actually see the parent being reproduced in the child. It's quite fascinating. And you know, I begin to think about in this series, Rewired, because we've been talking about, you know, getting a new heredity. That's, that means our heredity was moving towards death, and now because of Christ, our heredity is moving towards life. You know, and then we also talked about getting a new identity. You know, we used to identify ourselves by some other things in the, in the world, but now our identity is actually given to us in Jesus Christ. And then we looked at a new destiny, and today I want to look at a new disposition. A disposition is how you see the world. A guy I know quite well, a motivational speaker, Les Brown, says some people are so negative, they walk into a dark room to begin developing themselves. <laughs> so I don't know about you. Like, I don't, I don't know about your disposition, how you see the world, but I know this. I know that there are, can be challenges in how we view the world that lets us define ourselves in ways that does the one thing I don't want to happen. And I've come to the point in my life where the one thing I don't want to do is to be a hindrance to the kingdom of God coming on earth. I don't want to be the reason Love does not get displayed through me. I don't want to be the reason that would block someone else's pathway to coming to faith. I don't want there to be something in my disposition, the way I process the world, the way I respond to the world that would do damage to the kingdom of God. So, you know, there's, there's healthy things and unhealthy things that we define ourselves by, but oftentimes we're unaware of them. Now, interestingly, the Bible has a name for those parts of our disposition that control us other than allowing God to control us. And the Bible 
word for those is called stronghold. Turn to somebody and say stronghold. Stronghold. So a stronghold lines up in a couple of ways. First of all, it's a belief about yourself. That's not what God says. Right? Turn to somebody and say, you believe things about yourself that God doesn't believe about you. Right? So stronghold can also be some thought in your life that gives your life meaning. If this happens, then my life has meaning. If this doesn't happen, then my life doesn't have meaning. It can also be a need that you have that you're asking something outside of you to meet that's not God. Like another person, another situation, and let me put it in this way, you're asking the created order, the things around you, you know, to, to give your life meaning, and you're not asking the creator, God, to give your life meaning. In any one of those times, if that is allowed to grow and is fed and matures in us, it becomes what we call a stronghold, and it literally, listen to me, blocks the flow of love in our life. Okay, let me go to the Bible. Let me help you explain it, okay? So I'm going to read through one set of verses, and then later on, I'm going to explain them. But here's where the idea comes from. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. And here's what uh, Paul would write, the Apostle Paul. He says, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary... They have divine power, read the next three words, to demolish strongholds. So we demolish every argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And now here's the hard part. And we take captive, what? Every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, a stronghold is a little bit like uh, a cancer cell in your body. You know, the cancer cell is there, and for a while, it just sits there, and it doesn't really do anything. It's just there. But a cancer cell needs fed. And so over time, it begins to attract other cells, and it begins to expand, and it begins to mutate. Sometimes people have cancer. They don't even know they have cancer. It's, it's there, and, and all of a sudden, boom, it explodes. But one thing we know about cancer cells, eventually, if they're not dealt with, they dominate the human body. So it is with spiritual and mental strongholds. These strongholds that we have used to define our life by, they may be there for a while, we may be unaware of them, but eventually they will want to dominate and they will want to be fed. So a stronghold is something that binds you it controls you, it's like a chain around you, and interestingly enough, it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing, such as an addiction kind of stronghold, it can be just some other way that you've defined your life. So here's the big idea for this morning. Emotional strongholds are rooted in our spiritual identity. 
Emotional strongholds are rooted in our spiritual identity. Again, there's something we're using to define our life. That's not what God has said. It's something that has happened to us, and we've decided that we're going to define our life by that event, something that has happened to us. It's something that we crave to give ourselves an identity that's not necessarily what God says. They're not all negative things, but they become negative because they start to control us. So I'm going to give you four things today about strongholds. And um, I just want to say kind of up front with this, um, this is not easy work. This is not something where you sit and go, oh, okay, good, I can do that. Because by the very nature of a stronghold, it has rooted and embedded itself in you to such a degree that it can even make you believe that it's not a problem. Right? Now, the most extreme example is that of that that I could think of just from the extremities. Have, have you ever tried someone who, who drinks too much to convince them that they have a problem? If, you, if you've ever had that issue, you'll know that's not me. I don't have a problem. You know? Four martinis after lunch every day is just not a problem. You know? I function quite well. I drive home quite well. You know? and we've heard all the excuses, right? Now, that's a, that's a straight up front one. The harder ones, and we're going to talk about them in a minute, are the other more subtle, influential ways we define ourselves. So here's the first of the four I want to give you. A stronghold takes root in our life when we believe a lie about who we are. In other words, the stronghold is rooted in a lie. The Bible says the father of lies is Satan. That's who authored all lies, right? It began right back in the book of Genesis, right? In the book of Genesis, there's Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, and the serpent comes as Satan, and he says, has God said that? He wants to sow a lie. So the root of every stronghold is a false belief about ourselves. So that comes from the book of Romans, chapter 1 and verse 25, when he's talking about the current Roman culture. And the current Roman culture was as bad, if not worse, as our modern-day culture. I heard somebody say the other day that modern-day culture, our life is like circling a drain. Culture just circles the drain. It's just going around. It's just going to go down the drain any moment. And, and the culture we live in is difficult. And listen to how Paul says it. He says this. They exchange the truth about God for a what? For a lie. And then watch this. And worship. Okay, worship just means to bow down, give homage to, pay attention to, exalt. Right? And served what? Created things rather than the creator. Okay, there's where it is. There's a lie that says, okay, I'm I'm going to believe this about myself. And in believing this about myself, it is something that's really not true. We may think it's true, but it's not God's truth about us. What are some of the lies we believe? You you may be thinking of a few of them. Uh, I remember a phone call I got one night, a person in great distress And I'll just use this name. If your name is Johnson, it's not you, so don't get excited. But, uh, you know, he he says, us Johnsons don't cry. Really? Well, where did we absorb that material from 
that we would say as a family of people, our family doesn't cry. Uh, guys, we've heard it, right? All the time, right? You know, real men eat quiche? No, I don't mean that. Uh, you know, real men don't cry? Where, where, did we, where did we embody that? That, you know, that real men don't, it's, it's a lie because real men do cry. In fact, you know, the realer the man, the realer the tears. But it took me a long time. Thank you, that's all right, appreciate that. Yeah. Took me a long time to get to that point where I could process that. Uh, here's another one. In my book, The Relationship Depot, I write about oftentimes what happens to, to young women you know, who lose a father either by death or desertion or you know, maybe, maybe by divorce. And, and two things happen to them that reg- regarding intimacy. You know, either they become extremely promiscuous or they become very kind of cold and, and distant. And what has happened is instead of their father, which is a role for every father, to teach his daughter intimacy without sexuality, hugging and kissing and loving and bouncing on the knee and pour that into that daughter so she understands the difference between intimacy and sexuality. She doesn't get that from dad, so what she does is she goes out looking for that from the male figure and gets completely confused and so her identity now is all wrapped up in her sexuality. And that's really not where a woman gets her identity. A woman's identity has nothing to do with her sexuality. Um, what, about, what about, you know, if you grew up in a demanding household? Maybe you grew up in a demand, people were very demanding of you. And you know, when you begun to realize that, that I, I'm of no value in this family system uh, unless I meet the demands of the family system. And so then you take that and you go out into life and you spend your whole life attempting you know, to meet other people's demands of you because what you're trying to do is define your value and define your worth by, by meeting demands. I, I remember when Sam came into my office one day and Sam came into my office and he was there because another business failure. Sam had a, had a history of failed businesses. And we began to talk, and I suddenly realized, you know, I love it when God gives you those moments of intuition, right? I thought, this has got nothing to do with Sam's ability to run businesses. This has everything to do with Sam trying to please his father, because his father told him, you'll never be any good in business. And so he spent his whole life getting into these stupid, shady business deals, looking to make a quick buck, trying to, you know, really make a name for just so that he could be accepted by his father. So Sam defined his life by a lie. You know, you, you son, you're, you're no good in business. You're, you're, you'll never be as good as me in my business. Look at my business. You'll never be like this. So Sam adopts this identity that really becomes a stronghold that has literally driven his entire life. Just think about the competition between siblings. Sibling rivalry. And just think of what sometimes we do as parents. When we're very excited, you know, about little Susie who gets straight A's and is gonna become a scientist. 
And we can't handle Johnny because he's a little flaky and is an artistic musician and he's going to make a life in music. Uh, I, I met one the other day. I met a guy and, and his parents are stunned. They're still stunned because he's, you know, he's making records. He's doing great. He's got a whole career out of music. And all his dad wanted him to be was a doctor. That's what his dad wants. His dad wants a doctor. doesn't want a musician. So, so what happens inside us when that happens? We begin to get our identity. We begin to drive our life. Some of you, some of you have strongholds because you've defined your life by an event. Some single event in your life. And you've decided because of that event, that's the way I am. For some of you, it was a trauma. And, you, and you're here today, or you're listening by radio, or watching online, and your whole life revolves around what you think about that trauma, what happened to you. And, and why in our culture, you know, do we, do we take people who have been sexually assaulted and, and, and blame them for that? Like, what, what's with us as a culture that we're able to do that? And say, you know, it's, it's her fault. And, and, and then we absorb that, right? We, we absorb it and we begin to define our lives and say, there must be something wrong with me. There must be something broken. So when you and I have these strongholds and a part of us is challenged, when, when that identity that we've established for ourselves is challenged, what happens is this. Now listen, and let me give you some, because I gave you negative examples. Let me give you some positive examples. Okay, when my authority is challenged, my competency, my honesty, my creativity, my work ethic, my beauty, my sexuality, my desirability, my insight, my expertise, my knowledge, my value, my contribution, my need to be needed. Okay, so, so when those are challenged, and you come face to face, what happens is the stronghold rises up and it acts out. And it starts to either defend itself and it puts up walls or it starts to fight back. And the minute that happens, the minute that happens, the one thing that causes me the greatest grief in my own life happens. I block the flow of love. Because I'm so intent on keeping that, that moment, that stronghold. I'm so intent in keeping the identity that I've built around my integrity, or I'm so keeping my identity that I've built around my beauty, or keeping my identity that I've, I've kept around my, you know, my efficiency, or my intellect, or my expert knowledge. I'm so intent on keeping that, that I start to defend it, I start to rise up, I start to challenge, or I can just go in a great big dark deep hole, and I can get depressed, and I can say, nobody appreciates me, nobody cares about me, look what I could do, but nobody wants me. So you know, we either, we either respond out of, out of anger, or we respond out of depression. And then you see, when that gets challenged today, like if I were to come to you, and let's just say I knew that, and I would say, like, like here's an issue about your life. Then, then again, the, the uniqueness of the stronghold, because Satan is so deceptive. We say things like this, right? Have you heard these words? Well, that's just the way I am. How about this one? 
That's the way I'm wired. And you heard that? So why would I change? I can't change. I've always had a quick temper. Well, I, I've always had things my way. Uh, that's just the way it is. Uh, here's one. Take me or leave me. Wonder how many relationships that one has busted apart, right? So, so the, the challenge with a message like this today is that the stronghold is so darn deceptive that in this we have incredible courage. We will never ever deal with that thing that is running and ruining our life, that is dragging us around behind us, that is pushing us in directions we don't really want to go and we don't even know why we don't want to go. It's going to allow us to continue to repeat failure after failure after failure. The most amazing thing, it's, it's also in the relationship book, but it's a story about a, you know, a woman who came to see me, you know, who'd, who'd, who'd married an, an, an alcoholic, and she was so bound and determined not to marry another alcoholic. My gosh, she married this wonderful Christian guy, and you know, inside a couple of months, he became an alcoholic. And I went, what? Really? Like, what, what, what's... I'm not blaming her. I'm not, I'm not trying. I'm just saying, it's just so insidious. You know, the very thing we don't want, we attract because of the brokenness of a stronghold. Why do second marriages fail at an alarming rate, like 50%? Why do third marriages fail at an even alarming, more alarming rate, about 75%? Okay? Why do they fail? Because we keep attracting the same people we've always been attracted with our brokenness and we never get the courage inside to look in the mirror and say, God, what's going on? What's going on? Now, sometimes your stronghold, you know, becomes your comfort. Once again, you know, the easiest explanation of that one is, is, is addiction of some kind. Years ago, I, I wrote a little poem based on one of my addictions when God and I were working it through. And I remember the opening line of the poem that I wrote was, was goodbye, old friend. I've had a lot of good times together. I'm just paraphrasing right now. Had a lot of good times together. We shared a lot of stuff. But I need to let you go. It's time we go our separate ways. You know, and these strongholds become our comfort, and we seek them out. You know, we seek people out to confirm that we do have authority. You know, we seek people out to confirm that we are nice. We seek, we seek it out, and we also seek out the brokenness. So we're like a blooming magnet, you know? It's like on our chest, you know? All the idiots come to me. Here I am. You know, I'm broken, and I'm wounded, and I just need to attract you. So while these characteristics, some of them are desirable, they're not desirable when they control your sense of self and how you see the world around you. Nothing wrong with being an expert. But when you allow being an expert to be the defining value of your life, then it's wrong. There's nothing wrong with being knowledgeable. 
There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But when we set it up, that it defines our life. In other words, the created order has defined our life, something in the world around us, and not the creator, then we have a problem. So that's number one, is he's believing these lies. Number two, why you want to deal with a stronghold is because strongholds are a generational cancer. In other words, these strongholds seem to get passed down from generation to generation to generation. And so here you have, you know, a, a, may this say a young guy, you know, who was abused as, as, a, as a young man, and he grows up and he's determined, you know, never to abuse his children. However, you know, the statistics tell us that most abusers were abused as children. Why is that? It's a pattern. It's a stronghold. And it's a pattern that gets passed down. It's, it's the pattern of, you know, addiction. And those patterns are handed down, you know, through our family system. And if there's one reason why you want to generate the courage to look in the mirror and begin to deal with who you really are is so that you can break those generational curses, the generational cancer. And you don't have to pass on divorce. You don't have to pass on abuse. You don't have to pass on uh, critical ways of thinking. You don't have to pass on racism. You don't have to pass. They can stop with you. And they don't have to go through your children. And they don't have to go through your children's children. And here's the big one. And I've alluded to it again two or three times. Number three, strongholds stop the flow of love. We defined love last week as the actions that let other people know they are valuable. And when we have actions that let other people know they are valuable, when we react out of our stronghold and we're angry because somebody wants us to do something we don't want to do, because we only ever do what we want to do. It's a terrible thing for the kingdom of God. So let me just speak to those of you who are, who are on the Christ path. I realize some of you are not there yet, and, and I respect that, but let me, let me speak to those of you that are on the Christ path. I don't think there could be anything more horrifying than for you to claim you're a follower of Christ and you be the problem of God's love not saying to someone through you that they are valuable. And when you need to tear someone else down to build your stronghold up, did you get that? When you need to, because there's no other way, when you got to tear your stronghold down to build yourself up, you have stopped the flow of love that Christ paid for you on Calvary. You have stopped it right there. And you're an anathema to the kingdom of God. And there's more damage done. I'm going to rant now. There's more damage done in churches by people who have unregenerate strongholds who need their own way, who need things to be their way, who have to have it the way they want it to be. More damage done to the cause of Christ through Christians than all the atheists in the world could ever do. They, they, they can't even touch that. Can't even touch it. 
And it all begins because this is hard. It's hard to look in the mirror. It's hard to allow the light of God's Holy Spirit to illuminate us in ways that shake us to the core of who we think we are. That leads me to the fourth idea, is that strongholds produce, idea, produce anxiety. Of course they produce anxiety because you're looking around always trying to confirm, am I worth it? Am I worth it? Does somebody notice this? Does somebody know I'm an expert? Does somebody know I can do this? Does somebody notice I'm beautiful? Does somebody notice I have an opinion? I have more than one opinion, so just to help you out. (laughs) And so we go through life and we look at that and it's like a radar that's out there, right? Boom, 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 and I'm searching for it, right? And I find it. Oh, good, you confirmed that. Thank you, I'm on to the next. Oh, and I run into somebody else and they don't confirm it. Now, here's my anxiety. I mean, anxiety just basically lives within these strongholds. Because if I was truly free, you could never bother me. Whether you accept me, reject me, spit on me, nail me to a cross, whip my back, put a crown of thorns on my head, stick a spear in my side, let the blood roll down, hang naked in front of the world, and it doesn't bother me. Because that's not how I identify myself. It doesn't bother me. It's why Jesus could do what he did. He didn't care, it didn't matter. I don't mean he doesn't care, but he doesn't, he's, not, he's not responding to what people thought about him. So the enemy wants to attack you in your place of identity. He wants to attack your stronghold. So I can guarantee you that when he's really ready to work on you, you will just bump into three, four, five, six people who keep banging on your stronghold, who keep picking away at it, and you get angrier and more upset and more frustrated. And all sorts of things all happen to you because the enemy wants to do that. Listen, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 10 again and look at what the verse says. So listen, I'm gonna help you. Don't worry, I'm gonna show you how to get out of this mess, right? Say, thank you, pastor. Don't just leave us hanging there. Yeah, okay. So, though we live in the world, right? Who, who, everybody lives in the world, right? We do not wage war as the world does. So I'm going to give you something now. It doesn't come out of psychology or philosophy, and I'm okay with all of that stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to show you how to wage war, okay? It, it, that's, that's not as the world does, right? So look at the next verse. The weapons we fight with, what am I fighting against? This stronghold, right? They're not the weapons of the world, Okay? On the contrary, they have what? Divine power to what? Demolish strongholds, right? This is where we're going today, okay? We're going to access the divine power that can demolish the stronghold that's been, that you've been chained to for your entire life. And so then he says this. We demolish arguments. Those are the things that go around in your head, right? And every pretension, all that fake stuff you set up to identify who you are, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. 
Okay, so there's just what we've been talking about. You're, you're defining yourself in some other way without the knowledge of God. And today we're going to look at how are we going to demolish that so the divine power can come through you and heal you and you're not run by that stronghold anymore. So we do demolish arguments, every pretension, and then he goes on this. Now watch. And we take captive, what's the next two words? Every, okay, to make it obedient to Christ. Okay, to make it obedient to what we know of the word of God, of Christ. So the, the tough word is there, and we take captive every thought, okay? See, here's what happens to us. We're lazy. We're emotionally lazy. This is hard work. Like this is saying, I refuse to be like this anymore. I, I need to look at my, it's really difficult work because most of us just want to slide through. Just want to get through. And it's hard work because some of this stuff is so deep, deep rooted in our lives. It's just hard work. But we have divine power. Wow, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you, the book of Romans tells me. That same divine energy, okay, and in and, and the word dynamic power, divine power is dynamos, it's like a dynamite. That can just explode that stuff in your life. How is that gonna happen? Okay, number one, A, ask God to help you expose the lie. What? That's what you got for us? Ask God. That's what I got for you. I told you it's not, it's not, we're not doing psychology or philosophy or metaphysics. We're just doing the Bible thing. Ask God. How do I ask God? Okay, write it down. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. It's worn out in my Bible. Search me, God. And know my what? the seat of the emotions. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Wow, here we go. Okay, God, let's just do this. Let's just do this. God, I need you to start on this journey. I'm scared, God, but I know that you'll be with me. Search me, test me, God. And then he goes on and David writes these words in verse 24. See if there is any offensive way in me. Okay, that's a little bit optimistic, David. <laughs> I think there is, right? But lead me. Okay, and actually the word offensive there can be translated as anxious. Right? And lead me in the everlasting way, the way of health. The everlasting way. The way that's going to help me live a longer, healthier life. So the first thing is you've got to want this. That's all I'm saying in that phrase. You've got to want it, okay? The second thing is this. You need to begin to replace the lies with God's truth. John 17 and 17 says this. Make them holy. That means clean and whole and pure. Make them holy by what? Your truth. Teach them your word. What does it say? Which is truth. So you use the word of God. That's, that's your truth. It's what the word of God says about you. Ephesians 6 and 17 says, take on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. 
If you're in our warrior series, you know we talked about the sword being used internally, not as a weapon against somebody else, but the word of God cutting apart and chopping out stuff and removing the cancer using the word of God. What does the word of God do for you? I'll tell you what it does. Most of us, we look in the mirror and we look in the mirror that comes from a carnival mirror. Have you ever looked in a carnival mirror where it's all wobbly? And you get all this distortion. That's how when we try to look at ourselves, you know, we look in the mirror and it's all wobbly and distorted. The word of God allows us to look in an absolute clear mirror. And you know what? It's okay to see yourself the way you are. It's okay to be you. It's quite all right to be you. God's quite okay with you being you. His desire for you is just to be healthy and enjoy life. And he, but he's okay with, with the way you are now. He's just got stuff to offer you and you don't need to be afraid of it. That's the devil's lie. Third thing, not only are we asking God to expose the lie, we're gonna replace it with God's truth, the word of God. We're gonna learn to praise God. You're going to learn to praise God. Ephesians 6.18 says, pray in the spirit. Okay, that's using the word of God. We taught you that on all occasions with all kind of prayers. One of the things that releases you is to open your mouth and praise God. Some of you think you've got a clamp on your mouth, you know? Thank you, Jesus. Hello, hallelujah. Some of you You know, I'm not trying to turn you into Pentecostals, okay? Don't get, don't, don't get scared. I'm not trying to turn you into Pentecostals. But we need to allow, you know, that spirit of God to well up from in us, okay, so that it kind of breaks forth and we say, thank you, God. I praise you, Lord. You are wonderful. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, the word of God says about me. And I need to declare that with my mouth. I need to be able to say it. And he'd be say it out loud. Begin to praise God. Tell the devil to go back to hell where he came from. Here I go. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes. Cracks and all. Leaks and all. I'm fearful. You know, the other week I, I, I saw Stephen Furtick. Some of you will know him. And, and he said this great statement. We'll put it up on the board for you. He says this. You can't fight your mind with your mind. You fight your mind with your mouth. That's the declaration of the praise of God. That's what it's all about. I found a translation, an African translation of Psalm 22 and verse three. And here's the African translation. When you praise God, he brings a big chair and sits there. Right in the middle of your praises. I asked my beautiful granddaughter, Rachel, to help me today. And uh, I'm going to tell you something. Some of us, you know, you're just dragged, just dragged around by chains all your life, right? Something you did in your past, you know, something you just, there it is, and it tugs you, and it pulls at you. And you've decided, well, I guess that's the way it's got to be. Well, I've got news for you. The scripture says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I know that the blood of Jesus has covered all of those strongholds in your life. 
And I know that he can break every chain. He can literally break every chain. There's a name that breaks every chain, and that name is Jesus. And that's the name that you and I want to praise God for this morning, is the name of Jesus. That's what we're here to do, to worship Jesus. We're going to hate our God constantly. I've been Oh, Father God, as we stand in this place today, Lord, you are the God who breaks every chain. Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak to those deep strongholds tonight that are just surfacing in people's lives as we've been talking. And I pray for divine power right now, Holy Spirit power, a power we cannot explain to come and bring healing, Lord, and to bring wholeness, and to set free the captives. And this we pray in your name. Let everybody say amen. Come on. Amen. Amen. Okay, come on. I want you to be seated, okay? Let's do communion. Let's talk about the freedom that Jesus has. Are you ready, church? For some of you, this is going to be communion like the first time. It's going to be communion like the first time because I want you to just see Jesus hanging on the cross. He took it all. He's taking it all. If you think you need to carry it, it's just a lie. Look to Jesus. I can't explain it. It's not psychology. It's not philosophy. It's, it's, it's spirit. 
The Spirit of God setting us free today. The same night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave thanks. And he said, this is my body. Are you ready? Broken for you. Just turn to somebody and say, broken for you. Would you do that for me today? Broken for you. There it is. Broken for you. No more lies. No more lies. Jesus loves you. Would you eat with me, please? Mm. Cost Jesus a lot. When we say in Christian terms, something is covered by the blood of Jesus. It just simply means that that it has no more power over us, okay? So whatever has come up to your mind while we've been talking today, if anything has risen, I want you to see that covered by the blood of Jesus. What I mean by that is when Jesus went to the cross, he dealt with it for you. And your job and my job is to believe that and stop believing the lies, okay? So after supper, he took the cup, said, this is the New Testament, this is the new deal, the new covenant I'm making with you. I'm gonna seal it with my blood and I want you to drink this. And on that line, he said, until I come again. Because you know Jesus is coming, right? And then every tear will be wiped away, every heartache will be gone, right? So let's drink, okay, in Jesus' name. Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will.